0: Mind Crime for this Show with Dobson and him, Tim Pan. Today we discuss who owns the land: Marx, Hopper, or Crazy Horse? Tim.
1: Reason Magazine recently had an article on a professor from an American university in the Pacific Northwest about about who wrote a land acknowledgement. his university asked the professor to do so, and uh, he wrote that by Marx's theory of labor by Marxist theory of labor value, there's no possible way that natives could have owned all the land. I think that's entirely correct. By no possible way, the natives could have, by labor theory of value, that they could own all the land. And Marxism, and we include Hoppe in the title too, Hoppe has a great lecture, What Marx Gets Right. And Hoppe and the libertarians, I would argue, have a sort of Marxism and Hopiism and libertarianism in general draw from a lot of the same pulls. You know, Rothbard, of course, calls uh, Adam Smith a proto-Marxist. Now, I think this is, in a sense, a compliment to both. So so that's why I included those three intellectuals here. The third one, of course, the two intellectuals. The third one, of course, is Crazy Horse. Crazy Horse was an Indian famous for the little uh, bighorn. He's one of the last Indians to surrender here. Um, and that was sort of a nomadic hunting and gathering society here. Uh, I could have also included other people too, Caesar or Genghis Khan, even or Columbus, of course. I know explorers and other military carriers, because I see a lot of continuity between the past and the present you know i don 't think you know settler occupation societies is anything new, and i don 't know my history the best here, but I know some cursory outlines enough that you know when when Caesar would invade lands there 's a certain sense in which in ways more brutal than what Columbus did, but in certain sense, there's just continuity here. So, like the expansion impulse, the looking for new land to build uh, uh, agricultural land. Um, so, so, I see a lot of continuity here. Um, so, I want to start here. You have virgin land, or land which is only used for light farming, fishing, and hunting. No permanent civilizations here, or no long term civilizations. I'm well aware, by the way, to go full Graham Hancock, that there was a fairly advanced civilization in South and Central America. That's a different case here. But that's, again, that's more what Columbus, Cortez encountered here. Uh, and interesting enough, they used native allies to defeat the centralized civilizations, along with disease. You can go full Jared Diamond. You can go full other things to, uh smallpox. Maybe um, Cl- uh, Cortez should just stay there for 15 days to isolate themselves. Um, LOL. Um, so. So but the land that the like the Puritans in the north, the Massachusetts Bay colony, those groups encountered, was much more uh nomadic in a lot of ways. There was some civilizations there as anthropologists, but by by you know, and this was born out the Sam Cedar Walter Block debate, by a certain year the, the 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 European part of North America outnumbered the Native Americans. Now it was hard to know when that exactly occurred. Um so if you just want to take a utilitarian basis for land Ownership, which sometimes left libertarians will do in in immigration debates, will say, "Well, lo- United States has lots of open land, so we should be open borders," and same way with Australia. But that's also true during the time of Columbus, uh, during the time of you know Pocahontas, during the time of uh, uh, you know John Smith, and you know those those times too. It's it's in a way more true in that time. So you have this land, and then certain groups show up. And uh build roads, factories, mills, uh all sorts of things, you know, industrial civilization um um that, that 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 are built on top of it. Who owns the land to begin with? again, to start with the beginning, by Marxist analysis, Marxism had a very has a lot of like labor theory value. you know the fact that like if Marxists want to claim that the the the, the laborers own the factory, okay, we'll grant them that. But in this context, the natives would be in a sense the absentee aristocratic landlords of a kind. Um here, because they, they don't they, they didn't really build that factory. It was the workers who built that factory. Um, um now if you if you want to say the slaves owned the plantation, you can't also say the Cherokee owned the plantation here. So if you take Marx's analysis seriously and you take it down to the root here, they do have some kind of homesteading claim of your body and your labor. Um, and that's actually let's go back to Adam Smith here. Um I think there's Rothbard is in a sense correct. I think in this sense Rothbard is has an I mean, I like Rothbard, don't get me wrong, but I think this is one of the whether it's an era of Rothbard or era of Libertarians' homestead theory is a good question, but I think homesteading theory is good enough. Um, you know, so so in my view, the people who have a higher use ought to own the land. Okay, now you could define what do you mean by higher? Well, you have a hunting gathering society and you have someone who wants to build uh permanent farming. Factories, roads, and so forth, and you could go full ted Kaczynski um but to be fair, the Marxists are very industrial corporatist type things, like you know Marx's ideal civilization is a very hyper industrialized civilization from my understanding here it's not some primitivist you know anarcho you know type place it's you know it's going to have factories, going to have tractors and so forth, and you know in this sense they're improving they want to improve the land here. So I've identified, and Marx himself was probably a racist European in that sense, you know, in that sense. Again, I'm not saying it as a feature or a bug. I'm just sort of stating that it is. So I think actually the Reason Magazine commentator actually might be correct of what Marx would have actually wrote of land acknowledgments, uh, as their sort of politically correct universities cite them as. Um, um, so three types of clashes. Two roughly equal on per capita or total levels meet. Okay, so to go back to the continuity here, claim here, you know, if you look at the history, like, take Okinawa. Here's an interesting thing. You know, I was, re- I was re- looking into visiting Okinawa. It turns out they were like an indigenous group in a sense compared to the mainland Japanese. So here's an, here's an example where, where it's not just like the indigenous, na- crazy horse, uh, natives that have the, uh, uh, uh this problem. This problem also shows from other sites, like, you could think that are more homogenous. This also occurs with the south of France compared to Paris, also compared with Italy versus Rome and the papal states. You know, the problem of lesser or indigenous groups dealing with a centralized power, which occupies and sort of like homesteads their land is not just unique to North America. Even this occurs from my understanding in Britain too. Again, I don't know all the history, but I know at least there are examples outside of the United States, Australia and Israel where this happens. By superior, I mean power, you know, you have you have weapons and tools that are better that kill more buffalo or kill more natives. You know, as Philip Sheridan, who went from hunting Robert Ely down in the Virginia Valley, has said the only good ending, the dead ending. Philip Sheridan, he was a, one of Sherman's best uh generals in the US Civil War. Um, um, so so the so my general argument is that with respect to settlement here, that the claims are much more just than they are made out to be. If land is super abundant and the natives have a dodgy claim to owning the land to begin with, okay, then of course they should trade them for beads or tools or stuff like that. Of course they should. Um, this is this is patently obvious here. Um, and the Marxists should actually be in favor of the – Marxists the proper should be in favor of the – not the natives. should be in favor of the non-natives in this I, I I know – I don't want to drone that point too much here, but I do think, I do think that needs to be said here because that's how I started this thing. So, so with it, what do you think overall on my thing? I'll bring up the two other things here. Uh, Equal, uh, a superior civilization meets an inferior or a superior civilization meets a less than somewhere in between. Um, This is more of a case with like the European and Japanese contests when when they did their colonial empires. It wasn't as big of a disparity. And again, some people some some people would say would 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 bemoan me for this, but this is just sort of effective power. When groups with 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 good weapons encounter you know lesser groups, and they're willing to win them, it's going to be over. Now, if you want to bring up the cases, well, there are examples of like you know the Viet Cong defeating, yeah, of course, although they did have aid from the north, and you know there was the advent of nuclear weapons and other things. There are examples of quote unquote primitive societies defeating. OK, so there are cases of that. Um, I I don't deny that. Um, but in general, it seems to be in the Star Trek format almost that, that and when these conflicts happens, um, this is what happens. So, so what do you what do you make of this? Who do you think should own the land? You know, what what about homesteading theory itself applied to here? Swithin?
0: Well, uh, homesteading, I think, is precisely the point. Um, and what we really need to get down to here is what is effectively just prop, um, land that he said just land acquisition um now obviously the Rothbardian position is sort of homesteading uh then the question arises though um did the Indian tribes do enough as it were to consider it homesteading well given the Rothbardian or general libertarian framework I don't remember anybody really doing anything particular on that apart from well you know he's gonna do it a bit and more and cut down the tree regularly or keep taking um, my uh, grapes from the vine or whatever, and now oh, it's yours. You know. So you've got to d- do a lot of it. Um, now, when it came to the Indian uh, tribes, and some of the natives, I mean, uh, uh, particularly interesting here is the nomadic ones. I mean, the only thing you can really claim that they owned was probably some sort of um, use rights to use certain pieces of land at certain times of the year, because that's the only thing they ever used them for. Um, now, I suppose, though, you could say, well, they owned all the land that they ever used, um, but as you point out, I mean, that, that, that would be the Indian tribes' as perfect absentee landlords for, like, eight months of the year, and it's not as if they're uh, employing somebody in wage slavery to, to, to utilise the resources. It would just be idle. Now, but leaving that aside, I mean, why is that a problem from the view? Well, this, I think, uh, is a problem with uh, Rothbard's um, account of homesteading, is that is that he approaches it from a very physicalist point of view. Now, physicalists are not necessarily materialist in the sense that only material exists. But as in, you own your own body, you mix your labor with the land, uh, therefore it becomes yours. So there's also some, somehow some sort of transfer physically from uh, your body to the external world. Which is fine. I mean, you could hold that kind of position. The problem is is he's contradictory when he deals with things like pollution. And pollution refers to things like the relevant technical unit, technological unit. And then he says things like, well, you know, uh, if you own a house and radio waves go through and you don't agree to it, well, that's kind of OK because it doesn't interfere with your use of um, it doesn't interfere with the use of the house. But it's like, well, hang on. But if you physically own it and what you do is you own like, the molecules, or it's interfering with the molecules, or it's passing through without consent, which should therefore be illegitimate, which obviously makes no sense. And so Rothbard then moves towards some sort of used base uh, one. So um, pollution is only a problem if it interferes with your use of it in certain respects. Now use would be you know, historically uh, the pollution goes and harms the the uh, smoke from the factory, makes the housewife's clothes dirty, and therefore it's interfering fine. So you have to go to some sort of um, use basis, which is why I was saying how the nomads, nomadic tribes would be able to say, well, they own the rights to use certain lands at some time of the year, which is actually, I think, a concept that they would understand. Um, right, whether they understand permanent property ownership is another question, but that's certainly, I think, something they could easily have understood. So then the question is, well, how can you own virgin land? Well, it seems to me that you don't, you want to have um a relatively high bar for abandonment you don't want the case of oh you have left your house therefore someone else can go into your house until you come back um that would seem to be bad for social organization on the other hand um you don't want somebody who uses uh, takes one berry out of one bush wants to then have permanent rights over the bush Uh, because that was sort of like a too low a criterion for sort of taking the uh, permanent ownership. So I think what you need, you need some sort of bar, which I'd say reasonably low, but like what constitutes sort of ownership, Um, which I think then gets to your question of who uses the land best. Um, It's interesting in that respect... um, I think because Coase has a bad reputation for dealing with stuff like this, because he says basically give, give, um, give the right to pollute to whoever values it the most, which Block argues against because it's a forward looking pro- um, way of looking at the problem rather than a backward looking one as to who owns it and so you know, who interfered with whose genuine ownership. Um, so you, you do have that kind of angle, and so you want some moderate level that, which constitutes ownership, but you, you also want to recognize that abandonment is possible or is effectively implicit abandonment. Um, or you could say that you know, once you don't use something for such a long period of time, it basically becomes common because, well, the purpose of the resources is to be used. Uh, otherwise, well, nothing will end up being used and no resources used. You'll die. And society will die. So that's a bit of a background in the sort of theoretical uh, ways of, sort of land ownership. So who owns the land um, in the case of, um, as I said, the, the Indian tribes? I mean, you could claim that they owned no particular use rights at certain times of the year, but insofar as, um, the settlers came in didn't, uh, sufficiently interfere with that use. Now, whether that needs to be the actual exact same areas or whether it could be a similar type of area that's not really interfering with. I mean, the latter would be easier to implement because the former might prevent all kind of, um, sort of permanent development. Um, oh, there's an aside on that. There's an interesting uh, aspect to a, um, there's a zoo, relatively near my parents, called Chester Zoo. And what's interesting is um, it's either side of a bridleway, uh, which has basically a bridge over it, because they couldn't um, build over and on the bridle path because that was established use rights have been used for like hundreds of years the people using it constantly as a a right-of-way. So basically they had to build on either side of the uh, road, of the bridleway, which would horses, um, and then put bridges over, which I always thought was kind of like a perfectly reasonable settlement. It's like, well, you're not interfering with the use of the bridleway, but you can still build the zoo, uh, which seems to be sort of like an example of an optimal way of doing things. Um, So when it comes to settlers, you know, who did they take the land off? Well, I think in a lot of cases it wasn't really owned at all. So, effectively, they were using virgin land. And in other cases, I mean, did they trade with the um, the natives? Well, yeah, and if the natives trade for super stuff, well, that's kind of the natives' fault, really. But in many cases, I don't think that was true. I think they traded tools and other things that they would have found useful. Um, so, that would be my sort of general theoretical uh, approach. And... The general sum is who would own what and how and why. Does that answer your question, Tim?
1: It's an outline of an it's an outline of, a, of an answer in a sense to the question, but I want to bring more data in because I sort of want to somewhat muddy the waters in both directions here. So take, here's an, another interesting example: when the Egyptians were building the their high dam um, over the which was much higher than the British dam that was built. Um, um they were gonna flood the there's was the third group of people, uh Nuhubi, I forget their exact name here, but sit down near Aswan. Um uh um, and this was sort of a Marxist sympathetic government um in Egypt here under Nasser. And two things were gonna happen. They were gonna flood a bunch of ruined artifacts. Uh, so I was recently at the Kennedy Library in uh 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 near Boston here. It turns out that Jacqueline Kennedy was interested in Egyptian history. I'm also interested in Egyptian history. And some of the museum pieces they picked up, so they sent people over there where there's gonna get flooded and just basically took now the Egyptian the current existing government approved of it. Uh they just basically took artifacts that were gonna get flooded or moved them. Um so so in this case, the best use of this land, in my opinion, the best use of these these items are not the, you know, the people that happen to be there. It's, it's it's you know, the people who are going to take care of them, in a sense. Um, um, the same thing applies to other, you know, historical artifacts in this regard. But going back to the question of land here, uh, the land, you know, you, you made a comment that, like, land, you have artifacts, but you have land. Okay? So the land itself, you said, how can you someone own virgin land? I, I think that's sort of like a, a four-sided triangle. Someone might be able to own an artifact because an artifact is by definition of human design or production. But land, virgin land, by homesteading theory, I don't think someone can own virgin land. Uh, now, is the land that these sort of nomadic groups uh foraging and so forth on, do they own it? Well, that, that's, that in a sense is a question. I think by your answer, the answer is no. Um, now, you could say, there's the, the Lockean proviso. You could say, well, everyone has to be, you know, taken care of or something like that. You could add in, you know, you could own private property, but it's only, you know, it's only, uh, it's the community good at some point is overrides your individual private property ownership here. And a lot of the sort of right-wing anti-capitalists, you know, so we've interviewed them, Rick Story, Todd Lewis, um, but there's also other ones, you could argue, the sort of Christian ones till, would argue that in this sense, absolute property rights, you know, are, are, are in a way illegitimate here. Um, um, and you know, places like Singapore have like 99 year leases on their land. Like, so you can only own land for 99 years. Then, 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 then you have to give it back. Now, of course, of course it's always the state. So now, but you could, in anarchist context, you could infer for the Chomsky stand, you can infer that this is the trade union board. And for right wing anarchists, the Rothbardians, this is their sort of rights protection agency here. So if you want to say we'll get rid of the state, those two organizations would be the organization that sort of had de facto would be the, um, thing here, here. So I would say you're coming, like, who owns virgin land? No one owns virgin land here. I mean, we sort of see this with Antarctica in a way that in a sense, no one owns it here. Um, uh, those, the, 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 you know, the continent on the south, or you see this with like Siberia and the northern, uh on the northern uh areas too. Like if if I when 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 explorers would send ships down there, they would just set up as if. Um they would just set up research stations um and so forth on these various areas. And like since no one was there, no one really cared. But this was also true when like Columbus, Cortez, you know, the Puritans and so forth. Um and they encountered loops there. So so in my opinion, this is just a class of civilization, and then in some sense the "quote-unquote" weaker civilization. I mean, by a Christian ethical position, this is this is where things get really interesting. Speaking of muddying the waters, this is we have groups like the Sengalese, for example, uh, uh, Sentalese. but in a sense, they're speaking of zoos. You brought up a zoo. In a sense, I think the in, you could argue that they're kind of zoo animals um by the government. They sort of have like a, a a ring around their island where no one like Christian mysteries sometimes get uh uh arrested for trying to enter here. Um so you could speaking of zoos, like uh, there's a way in which you could zooize certain groups of these people here. Um 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 but you know is that you know d- for one thing, what's what's oftentimes missed, there are indigenous people who actually like you know, this also occurs in in Israel-Palestine conflict, you have you have Arabs living in Israel who actually like the existing Israeli government. Um, you also have Native Americans living in you know sort of people who prefer the um, who are basically functionally American or functionally Australian in in, in their you know uh, mannerisms and culture for that matter. Um, so yeah, that yeah that yeah that thing here. But you gave an outline an answer here. What do you make of my particular examples here, and what do you make of my comment on the inability to own the de facto, the seeming contradiction of owning virgin land? Would you say that, that that land is virgin,
0: Swithin? Well, no. Clearly, you can't own virgin land because, insofar as you own it, it ceases to be virgin. Um, so that's true. I, my, my, I, it was probably the way I was. I, I phrased it. What, what I meant to say is. How can you emborder a uh, virgin land? You know, such sorry, sorry. How can you emborder land which previously is unused and then um bring it under your own um use? That's that's that that that's what I was uh really doing. Um so one of the specific examples you mentioned was interesting is the Aswan Dam, um because uh one of the, the most difficult things they did there uh, was building the Aswan Dam, they had to move uh, a massive temple called Abu Simbel, which has uh, four 65 feet high st- statues of Ramesses II, uh, and it was going to be flooded by the Aswan Dam. So they picked it up and moved it 200 meters, so it wasn't flooded. Uh, now, obviously, as to who you could claim owns, um, who owns uh, Abu Simbel is another question. Um, But that was certainly a solution, Um, certainly a a, a solution uh, to the problem. Uh, And and you are right uh, as as well with the respect to the Arabs living under Israeli rule and stuff. I mean, uh, there are – Well, the the interesting thing, though, when you say the Arab under Israeli rule is you could make a distinction between in which political jurisdiction you exist – And also what property you kind of own. So, for instance, then you get into sort of deep questions as to, well, um, in which political uh, arrangement you exist in uh, is going to determine what your ownership consists of. Because nowhere in the world does anybody own things in the way Rothbard said you should own things. That simply doesn't exist. So you could argue that there is some sort of um, uh, continuum, and also the Arab living in Israel probably wasn't somebody who thought he already owned some sort of land, and then an Israeli settler took it. Well, would he be a settler? I don't know, uh, enforced immigrant or, or, or violent immigrant or something like that. You you could describe it as. Um, so uh, pol- uh, political jurisdiction and land ownership, whilst related, are to some extent disentangleable. Um, which of the examples did you give? Uh, I don't remember exact, exact examples you gave.
1: Well, the example I gave is that in the, in the, if you want to cite the anarchist objection to the state, which is fine and I think is, a, is, is good enough under the new. Nu- if, you, if you move the ball forward down the field, what you're going to end up with is either Chomskystan, okay, which is basically trade unionism, or you're going to end up with like Rothbardistan, which is basically ruled by you know, voluntary corporation. Some Now, again, both sides will argue that the other side is an illegitimate state. So, like, in a sense, it's hard to describe the terms and hard to describe the terms as, as I want to. But, like, y- you said the, the, the political and uh you, uh, uh whatever dis- d- would be disentangled, but sometimes it would be re-entangled in other ways with respect to, you know, the, the, the trade union board. Because I think the trade union board in Chomsky's then would argue that would would arguably argue that like you know you're in a sense you're in a sense uh, infringing on the the other rights within.
0: Oh yes, I mean certainly they would. Um, but I think this that this this more gets to a discussion as to what constantly uh, what um, actually constitutes a state. Um, which we sort of discussed with respect to, you know, whether the hotel is a state um, because it doesn't let certain people in and it kicks certain people out and it has dress codes um, and stuff. But you're you're certainly correct Um, uh, because, of course, um, um, the Marxists would say, well, uh, you know, given the fact that only private personal property is, is legitimate, then any other sort of non collective ownership of the means of production is going to be oppressive uh, in certain ways. Um, So for that to make sense, you need to have a very clear demarcation between the personal and um, the public or the um, the collect. What's the right term? Um, Oh, uh, and private property. So private and personal has to be distinct and obviously private property is bad. uh, so, I mean, you. I think, though, then the. So, okay, so, so so, if you. If you if, when it comes, though, to sort of the trade unions in Chomsky scan or the Rice Protection Agency in Raf um they are. Even though they may function as a state as such, they don't. Although I could be wrong with Chomsky scan, I don't think. Well, they maybe do. The unions, qua unions, wouldn't in, engage in. Um, property acquisition as in they wouldn't go around and, and border uh, uh, unused land that certainly wouldn't be the case with the rights protection agency well they could do in so far as they're, uh, they are individuals who uh, border uh, um, unused land but they wouldn't be an uh, embordering or, uh, uh, or homesteading sort of uh, organization insofar as they are that organization that would perform a different task so whilst it's true as I said that the ownership and the political arrangement is related uh, I don't think neither of those uh, organizations being involved in property acquisition per se so I think that's a little well unless I'm missing something uh, I think that um, that moves away a little bit from well, did Columbus steal the land from the natives, or was that sort of just title, was, that, was, was there a just sort of title transfer to you, sort of Rothbardian uh, term there? Does that make sense?
1: Again, some of, this, some of these episodes are, in a sense, uh, interchanges of, I, of ideas in, between us. I'm not, in a sense, I'm asking a question in a sense, a rhetorical sense, and like, I think that how do you come to own yourself and own the land around you just as much applies to the, uh, Native Americans or the first peoples or rather politically correct words you want to do as it does apply to the other people here. And then, and then when you can draw this timeline forward today, it also applies here because again, as I said earlier on, the left libertarians could argue that there's a lot of virgin open land in the United States. But there's people like Ann Coulter. Would point out there's there's sort of difference between settlers, and sort of immigrants to already you know like there's a difference between setting up a whole new civilization full cloth on effectively virgin land, and and um um you know just moving to a society and that's already there and assimilating into its customs here, um so there's sort of big there's sort of a, a difference in there, now now I do think that that Rothbardistan and Chomsky stand if it's successful. Has two problems here, which which I think, based on history, some version of that would be successful, arguably. And if they're successful, it's going to have a growing population, uh, because people want, people want like, you know, what is a flourishing society? Probably a growing society. So they do need to deal with, you know, extra, extra people here, so to speak. Um, so there is, there is some, there is some need, if if especially if it's an agricultural society of some variety, um, to or or binding side, there's some, there's some imperative to expand or at least make better use of the existing land here, which requires in many cases of kicking out the less useful land. You know, Derek Jensen was in an interview with Todd Lewis and Keith Preston. And what Derek Jensen pointed out here, which I entirely correct is, you know, if you want electric cars, you need some rare earth metal to make the batteries. And it comes from like, I think, Amazon or the Congo. Um, so it's like, you know, if you want MRI machines or electric batteries, this is how I'll, I'll phrase it because you think healthcare is human, right? You're going to need these things. Um, so I'd say, in that regard, the mining the mining company is the best user of the land by utilitarian standards. Here, now you could always argue against utilitarian standards, and I, I'll do that. I'll be one of the first people to do that um, as well. Um, but if Chomsky is in or Rothbard is is successful, which I think we have every reason to believe it's successful. Um, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to, it's also going to be a magnet for other people to come there too, much like the Americas were. Um, um, so, so in that regard, they do have a, they do have a problem. Like when we did our punishment episode round two, you know, like why not just have a penal colony in some section? Well, we effectively have an immigration problem in a sense. Um, um, so, I do think, I do think that like the 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 problems of how do you come to own yourself apply to everyone, not just not just them. Now you could argue the left is just taking the right seriously with its homesteading claims by saying, no, actually, Crazy Horse owns the land because he walked there first. Well, I'm countering with you don't really believe that here, and this is all these reasons, and actually. Libertarians have a lot of Marxism, and actually Americans, you know, there's a lot of Marxism. And takes this thing with a flag. Now Jeffrey Tucker says more Mises, less Marx, but the homesteading—I don't want to give up the idea of homesteading. Um, I think it's a useful tool at minimum. Now there are the physicalist, non-physicalist descriptions here, um, which get into other areas here, but the Laird itself. I reckon that the best user of the land is going to own the land and should morally think so too. Um, so I, I think the uh, sort of guilt imperative should be sort of somewhat thrown away um, with respect to this. It's like, no, uh, I mean, and, and to push it back to other societies, if you look at the foundation of other societies, the land titles, if you go far back, get very dodgy. And this is to bring up the Egyptian examples the Arabs living there today are versus the Coptic Christians that were living there in like in the time of the first century. There was a bit of a conflict between them, um, you know, and it still continues today. So, you know, who owns artifacts? You know, in the in the while back at the Tom Wood show, they had a, who owns? You know, one of the Israelis guys said who owns the Roman Colosseum? You know, the Romans were mad at the Romans at Masada massacred them, or some my understanding. So I I think it has to if it, the theories, I can see why the left wants to do it to people like us and say all the property titles are unjust or money of the property titles is unjust. But I don't think that's true. Uh, I think there are plenty of just property titles here. And once you're two generations away from an unjust property title, we brought, brought this up in a Ukraine episode. Like, you know, who, you know, there were probably some Germans who think they ha- have effective property titles in Ukraine from the late 1800s. Cause I think that was in the Franco, in the, uh, one of the wars out there. Um, um, they had effective types and then the Russians will say they have Crimea, you know, so, so the, there is, you have to sort of think, if you want to think forward here, you know, Chomsky stand, Rothbard stand, what would they exactly do with the expansion problem here too? So within any further comments, I'm sort of starting to wrap it up, wrap up here, um, with my, what I generally want to do here. Do you have any further comments to add or questions?
0: Well, uh, when it comes to sort of primitive societies and they don't use the land well, um, I understand. I I do think that you can't really shy away to some extent of whoever uses the land best. Then the problem though, you hold that is, I think this is Todd Lewis's argument that, well, then we just apply this to everywhere and anywhere. And you know, you're using your existing sort of uh, property, which no one really disputes because it's like, let's say it's an artifact, then, um, then you know, this then justifies, well, effectively, what you could call like a perfectionist, uh, legal code which prohibits anything that's bad and mandates everything that's good. Now, whatever that would be is another question, but uh, that's going that way. Which I suppose you could do, but then that gets proper sort of political stuff. Now, I suppose what you could say is that only applies to land, because land is somehow unique, which I think it is. It it is unique uh, relative to artefacts. Artefacts are obviously embroidered in the way that land isn't. Um, So I I, I do think um, having something like that would be correct, although I, I would probably want some relatively relatively low bar as to what considers good use because you wouldn't want a situation whereby, well, somebody's using this as a nature reserve of certain descriptions, but then someone else wants to turn it into a highway Oh, but the highway gives more GDP. Therefore we build the highway. So we, we, we kind of, you know, we would want to avoid a uh, situation because actually this comes into, um, I think Roderick Long has some discussions of this um, with respect to homesteading. He's like, how could you keep land virgin? Because you wouldn't be able to have any rights to it. And so you couldn't have like wilderness, um, which is uh, an interesting question. I suppose, given your framework. Well, as an aside, wilderness is something that would only be wanted by a an affluent society because otherwise it's, oh, well, there are the resources that we need to use. So uh, I doubt that there are any sort of, like, pre-industrial or poor... Well,
1: or but I, I, I'm going to, if I will you mean, like, the American national parks, I would argue that in a way, now, again, you could argue this is, this is special pleading, but in a way, there's a big difference between Yellowstone National Park and Yellowstone National Park before, like, 1700. Um, Because, like, you have highways running through it, which, if you look at them, they're really quite ingeniously engineered. Like, you know, this guy was recently flooded, and it's going to cost, like, $20 billion to rebuild all these roads to them. Like, so, like, to go out and enjoy the wilderness as such, in a sense, they're kind of like, they're kind of, many national parks. There's a Teddy Roosevelt National Park. There's a giant fence around it to keep all the buffalo bison. Inside it. And they occasionally the fence will break and some of them will escape. So in a sense, I would say that there, I I, I do think it's possible to own a wilderness park, Um a wilderness park. But you also, interestingly enough, you wouldn't let hunter gatherers go hunt the bison. And that's actually that's precisely like if you own a wilderness park, you have to keep one the thing they do is they keep out hunters from hunting them or they'll have quotas. So you can only hunt 10 bears. Or something like that. Um. Um. So like, I can agree at times, with, like the Bureau of Land Management and the fisheries, but th- like that's a very like, like so like sometimes liber- sometimes progressives will sort of say, well things would just fall apart in a sense if, well you could argue that 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 if you had private ownership, like Walter Block will talk about this, you know, you know, like you, you someone need to own the coral reef, you know, like if, if the coral reef is a valuable thing, um, um, you should just you know, someone should just, you know, keep the keep the so effectively you have to exclude fishermen or miners um from mining the coral reef if you want to keep, you know, a coral reef open here. So with will like wilderness parks, I think that already exists here and it's less of a thing uh in Ethiopia one of the only places of forests exist around churches, um, because the commies uh basically had bad land management practices here. National Geographic had a story on that. That would be my point with, with wilderness wildlife, management. you got to keep the hunter gatherers out to keep it more um, – Or I mean, you could have a few. You could have, like, one protected group. Um, but, you know, as Hans Hoppe points out, like, 250, I think each person needs, like, 100 square miles or some very large number here. So, now the Todd Lewis example, that's interesting. That's taking libertarianism more seriously and getting into more, like, Marxism here, like so, like let's say you have talents to be, I don't know, a, uh, a musician, a, a classical musician. But instead, you want to play video games all day. Now, in, in like Todd Lewis' or Rick's Story' Perfectistan, that would be ineffective use of like, let's say, let's have an orchestra hall, and if it's not, if it's being used for something that's less than ideal, then in a sense, um, that that shouldn't be used for that. Now it goes to the what exactly is ideal, and what exactly isn't isn't Ideal or best use here, but yeah, I think in in certain ways, in ways in common language are used, you can get there pretty far. And many of these settlements just give cash. Like I think in in, in places like I think you you were telling me in like South Africa or Rhodesia, they just want cash, um, which is you could argue as a, as a sense of extortation. It's like what relationship does three generations ago have with to the some farmer? Um, here. So that would be my response with respect to wilderness parks. With
0: well, uh, the example I, I remember was South Africa. If you have a claim to sort of like Africana uh, land, uh, you can go to the South African government and be investigating. It. If you, they just they conclude that you are the owner. Um, well, they can in principle turf out the current occupier. But in I think 97 percent of the cases, they just take cash because they have no interest in farming. So I would agree with you when it comes to property titles. A lot of them are essentially just, insofar as well, they have the best current claim to it. Whether they have, um, whether somebody else has an even better claim, well, they have to sh- demonstrate that they do. Uh, so they at least have the most, the best demonstrable claim, which is the best we can really work with. So but with, with wilderness, I mean, yeah, you could. Um, I mean, there might be ways in which you could sort of demonstrate use and uh, uh, transform the land in a certain way so it's owned in such a way that you could leave it virgin enough. I I, I, I suppose that's, um, that's possible. But I, w- I would still say, though, that um, nobody really cares about leaving land virgin until they've got to a certain material standard of living, because price that just use it. When it comes to, um, like, permits, who can use it, I mean... Um, you could say, well, you know, the nomads were there, and they took this amount, broadly speaking, and their population kind of stayed the same, so they can hunt this amount of buffalo, uh, but not too much, for instance. I mean, that that's potentially reasonable. I mean, you could you could have something like this with fishing, for instance. Um, when it comes to um, land ownership and the difference between sort of um, the settlers in America and sort of potential immigrants to America today. Um, because the left, like say, was well, lots of land in Nevada. Why can't they come and use it? Uh, I think there's a difference between nomadic societies and settled societies. In nomadic societies, don't really have borders. All they are, or if they do, is the border of the of the tribe just moves. And so, in a sense, it's much more sort of person orientated rather than place orientated. So, whilst it's, um, whilst you could say nobody individually owns like a thoroughfare or. a or a piece of land which isn't really cultivated, but in a settled society you could get kind of, Well, it's the communities in a sense. It's, um, it's we have like a better claim to it as a political uh, group uh, than does anybody else. Now, whether that ultimately works or not is another question. Depending how you cashed out, but it would seem to be that the relationship between physical borders of a nomadic tribe and the settled society, is somewhat different. And so the claims you have over it, or potential claims of various people to it, I think kind of makes more sense. So um, saying that, oh, we should let everybody into Nevada, um, I think is um, disanalogous to the, uh, the Puritan settlers coming over to America. Uh, and actually, if you're into settlers over in America on that basis, actually have more right to do so uh, than does any random person going into Nevada. Um, I suppose, of course, the question is, can they get there legitimately to Nevada, which is another question, which then gets into the donut problem that Waterbot likes to talk about. Well, what if you homestead a piece of land that encircles all the other piece of land and can you stop people going through your land to get to the, 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 the land inside it? Which, which block says yes, because otherwise it would be crime against homesteading. So he effectively a- acknowledges some sort of um, thoroughfare sort of uh, right of way, essentially. Um, so those would be um, my broad case. So, so, so just, to, just to reiterate, what I would say is with, with uh, land acquisition, I think it's going to be some sort of use rights, use basis, but you can't have a situation whereby you just leave the property and someone else takes it. There's going to, have to be a lot for abandonment, I think, because I think it's it's clearly obvious you want relatively settled land titles because it makes uh, society and what you can do more predictable, and so it's more conducive to build to generating a sort of like a flourishing society, which I do think to some extent has you know, who uses the land better. I think to some extent, Rand argued that, or as she took the the, the strong position that, well, the Indians have no uh, concept of property, therefore we didn't take anything from them because they didn't think they owned anything, um, which is uh, sort of a typically typical uh, flourish, uh, rhetorically from the Rand from Rand, um, but uh, I think it has some elements um, of truth. Um, so I think those are the the, the couple of uh, sort of theoretical points, and then. On the relationship between, you know, did the settlers take it or not and what current immigration, I do think they're this analogous. Um, now i just like to thank everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and family and to, um, subscribe to us on PubBee and on YouTube. The more subscribers we get, the higher we get in the search rankings and the more people can access this material. And finally, if you'd like to come to that show for any reason, please contact us at show at gmail.com. That's show at gmail.com.